uh, we shared a little bit. I shared on one particular verse yesterday, and uh, God tied it into some beautiful truth uh, today. But uh, the verse that I shared yesterday was, was Psalm 119, 165. And that says, Great peace, great peace have they that love your law. Now, when it says the law there, we might think that he was talking about that law that's in Exodus 23 to 17. But it was far more than just that, okay? Because if you look at Psalm 119, the whole premise of that whole psalm is the Word of God. Look at it. Follow it all the way through, even in those first few verses. Even in those first 11 verses, all the way to the 25th verse, all the way to the 50th verse, all the way to 154. I mean, all the way through, it's the Word. It's the Word. Give, it, give, me, give me the Word. The psalmist, uh, he said, How will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto. It's 119.9. According to your Word. And then that your word have I hid, treasured up in my heart, that I might not sin against you in the 11th verse. The 25th verse was, was going through some intense times. And that psalm is very, very intense when we understand it isagogically. In other words, in its historical frame of reference. Uh, many, just to give you a little background of that particular psalm, many believe that David wrote that psalm. And, and, and in ways, I, I could see that too. But then there's, there's two really strong schools of thought who wrote that. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is to bring out the reality of the word in either of those experiences, either of those men. So some think it was David. Some think it was Ezra. I, I tend to believe, uh, through studying it through a bunch of uh, years and just my thoughts before God, is that Ezra wrote that psalm. I just believe it. Uh, but whether it's Ezra or David, we do know that is the recorded word of God by the Holy Spirit. That's the most important part. Because we both know that if we know uh, in any measure, we can see even more so with David. We see even more so with him in his life the things that he went through and what the word meant to him and where, what it was in him, where it brought him, how it cleansed him and so forth. Then we can see, but I can, can also see when you study the history and understand Ezra, how he, what we remember is, and through teaching, what we remember is that Jeremiah the prophet, he was Ezra's pastor. So, you know, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 3, verse 15, I will give you pastors, shepherds, according to my heart, which means his mind, right? According to my heart, which means his mind, which means his word, right? That will feed you with knowledge and understanding, okay? But, as, but they were led away captive. The first captivity for uh, the nation of Israel, as a result of their backsliding and disobedience and refusal to the word of God, was the Egyptian bondage, which was 400 years. 
Then the second one, which was very, just very, very bad, was a total of 70 years, and that was the Babylonian captivity. And boy, oh boy, when you study that out, what those people went through as a result of that Babylonian captivity. And we won't get into it now, but it was very, very intense. Very intense. And boy, I'll tell you, I'm almost biting my tongue to get into it. But just, just as they were taken and led away captive by their captives, they were absolutely, absolutely brutalized. The women were taken captive. All their goods were taken, all their material possessions. The women were raped. The boys and men were sodomized. On their way to Babylon, to go to Babylon, their whole walk was this. <laughs> their whole walk was that. And so actually, even when you see, and we will look at it in Psalm 119, uh, just the things that, that, that they went through. And again, we know that in that Babylonian captivity, it had to be, because that was a later time, it had to be, and that's why I believe it's Ezra and not David, uh, but that's why it says it in, in so many different places, because, because when it talks about, about that, and, and, uh, and then when you think all those verses when you read it, right, when you read those verses, uh, you can see all through that, and the way it's written, the Psalm 119, the way it is written is, very, is just incredible. It's very incredible. It's 176 verses. But, and also, in through that 119th chapter, you'll see where it says, princes have persecuted me. And what that meant, just think of the persecution as they were being led captive by these, you know, by these soldiers by these warriors, by these soldiers, and he's hearing the cries of the women. He's hearing the cries of the young men and the men. He's hearing these cries. And even himself, he was brutalized. And when you see that, you can see this persecution. You want to talk about some persecution. It was very, very intense. That's the background, honestly. That's what I really firmly believe is the background of that psalm. And that's what he's saying. Uh, he's saying in Psalm 119, uh, 165, I do have great peace. You look at the verse before. He says, seven times a day do I praise you. Even through everything he's going through and all the people and everything he's hearing and what he went through. Seven times a day do I praise you, and that's a fullness, a continual times, as much as this needed be. He'll have plenty. God will be with him through all those things, and he will have plenty to praise him for. Uh, do I praise you because of your righteous judgments? And he knows sooner or later that he, he, God will lead them out, which he did. God did lead them out of the Babylonian captivity. There's where you get into the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah, and that is dealing and how they, they re rebuilt the walls and so forth and, and all of those things that happened. So whether it's David or whether it's Ezra, they both went through some pretty intense times, and they had plenty to praise him for. 
165, great peace have they that love your law. And that had to do with the word. And really what he says is nothing, nothing will offend them. In other words, there will be nothing that the enemy can put in my path as long as God is with me there that will cause me to, it will cause to be an obstacle that I'll stumble over and fall. Because that's what the word that's what the word there, and we won't get into it as much, I don't believe so. Uh, mikshal, that's, that's the Hebrew word, mikshal, for, for stumble. You can look it up in any, in any um, concordance, but boy, when you really get into the Hebrew, you tear that word apart. It's very, very interesting. But really, the great peace that he had, and the great peace that you and I have in Christ, is because we're greatly loved will never be forsaken. Ezra was not forsaken. Even though he went through all those things. Listen, I bet you every single one of us now in Christ, I bet you we could all say, you know what? When I looked back, he never forsook me. He's the only reason I ever went through those things. It's the only reason. And when I look back, I see... I have great peace now as I look back, and the reason is is because that peace flows from a love that never leaves us nor forsakes us in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Even Joshua would say that in Joshua 1, 5. He will not fail me nor forsake me. And even though at times we felt that way, that's why we say our emotions are not the indicator of his presence. Our emotions are not the indicator of his presence. The fact of the word of God, that his very presence is is our beautiful and precious reality. So we have great peace. And nothing that the enemy can put in the way can cause me to totter, to waver through being weak, and that word is very amazing because it goes into, the word mikshal goes into, the, goes into and is a, a part of the word kashal. And kashal literally means this, that it's a primary root which means to totter, to weaken. So if you're in a path and you don't see something there and it's an obstacle you're not aware of and you trip over it, you begin to totter and you begin to be weak and through weakness. But especially... It goes into, this word literally means it has to do with legs, our legs. And what do our legs have to do with in type? Our standing in Christ. Our standing in him that can't be touched. Our standing. But also it goes into, really these words when you tear them apart, it goes into our ankles. And when we have weak ankles, can we walk? And thank God, in Ephesians 6, verse 15, it says that our feet are shod. Our feet and, and our ankles are part of those feet. Shod with the, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And again, when it says that, and that's in the midst of spiritual warfare, in Ephesians 6, 15, when it says that our feet are shod, it doesn't mean that we're going forward preaching peace to other people. It can But first and foremost, it's everything about our personal walk with him. He who never leaves us nor forsakes us is our very peace. It's Ephesians 2, 
in verse 14. He is our peace. He is our peace. And again, we have great peace because of his great love, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Now again, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, Thou will keep him, you will keep him in perfect peace. How are we as believers kept in perfect peace? Because Christ, who is our peace, is the power that keeps us there in 1 Peter 1, 5. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And we are kept, we are kept by that power. We are absolutely kept by that power. And thank God. So you will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect means it's complete, done, and finished. Okay? And anything that the enemy can put in the way that would be seeming to be an obstacle will just be, whether we... And we can be part of it. It just manifests the peace that we have. Because our joy in the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, our joy may be up and down. That's an emotion. And we can have good emotions. Or we can have bad ones. <laughs> but the, our, in, our emotions are not an indicator of who we are. Okay? Our, our peace is settled. Nothing can interfere with that. Because Christ is our peace. He's dealt with everything. Christ is our peace with God. God has peace with us through Christ. So we not only have the peace that Christ is, but he's given us a Father who is the God of peace for us. So we have the peace of God, and it acts as a sentinel, a guard, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. It keeps us within that peace. That's the eye of the hurricane. And then when all outs are swirling, that peace keeps us in and it keeps, out, it keeps the swirl out from entering in. And that's a beautiful word there, irony, in the Greek is the peace that we have. And it's incredible. Now, and there's, there's different meanings for the word peace, but he's our peace. And when we submit our will, we experience the peace that literally becomes ours. And so this is what it's saying. Great peace of they that love your word, and nothing will cause them to stumble. We dealt with this, and I believe the way that God had it personally with many lives, and I use myself as an example, but I, but I did have discernment about certain other things that were going on. Just, I just want to be crystal clear about that, just in case anyone was wondering. But I was speaking from myself, and it had to do with relationships especially between believers, because the enemy wants to come in between believers. He wants to put an obstacle that we trip over. Okay? Now, listen, for us it's very simple as believers, as those that are in this world system, but not of it. In John 17, verse 16, the high priestly prayer of our Lord was that we are in the world, but we're not of it. Because he said he wasn't of it in John 17 and verse 14. So through this world, as we are passing through on our way to our promised land, and our, it's called the promised land in type, because for us, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen in 2 Corinthians 1.20. So we're on our way to our land, which is heaven, to be with him who is our promise. Again, the Bible never talks about us, us going to heaven. It's going to be with Christ. <laughs> and it just so happens, heaven for us 
is a land of fulfilled promises that we'll experience for all eternity, all eternity, there without interruption, distraction, or any kind of obstacle. And it's a wonderful thing. So we have this. So instead of being feeble, instead of being overthrown, instead of being ruined, because we can't, none of those things happen. Are we ruined in our position? Never. It's untouchable. It's done. Our position's in Christ, period. He finished everything, rose up, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father with us in him positionally. But does the enemy want to put obstacles in our way to cause us to, have to experience ruin? Yes. To bereave, to get mourned, to be discouraged. Remember we've said, and God has to, uh, you know, to remind me constantly, if you want to be disappointed, look to others, even another believer, for what, for what is only yours in Christ. Then when that gets tired, then at times when we can't find anyone, we look within. When we look within, we get disappointed. But if we want to be encouraged and built up, we look to Christ. And we're going to get into very quickly Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that ties in the way that only God could do it uh, beautifully with Psalm 119, 165. So instead of faltering and stumbling and fainting, and this is, again, Proverbs 24, verse 10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, okay, it says your strength is small. Notice that? Your strength is small. That's experience. How strong is our position in Christ? How, being in Christ, how strong is he? Nothing can touch our position in him. He has all power. You see that in Matthew 28, verse 18. He's got all power. All power leads us all the way through this wilderness world system. And God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power. And in that power, there's love. And with that love, there's a well-disciplined mind knowing how to think and never thinking outside of that love that Christ is and he's made mine in my experience based upon my position in him. We don't faint. We don't faint. Luke 18.1, men should always pray and not faint. We should and that's why it's so important, especially for us as, as leaders, and it brings it out there. All of us need to do that, but leaders in Acts 6, 4 need to give themselves to prayer because how else will they even minister, distribute the word until they do so? And as God's taught us so many, many times, prayer, prayer is God teaching us constant dependence, faith dependency, which results in the consistency and constancy of the confidence that we have in him. And it's ours, and he's made it ours. So there's no, is there any obstacle between us and our position in Christ? No. That's why we say the enemy, what does he do? He goes after the experience. Listen, in, in our own personal way, as we travel through this world system, it is either God's way, and what is God's way? In John 14, 6, it's Christ, right? Jesus said himself, I am what? The way. The way is the Greek article. The is the Greek article. It's pointing and saying, this way, no other way. Again, Proverbs 
12 and 16, 25, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of that, of that way are the ways of what? Destruction. So it's either God's way for us individually in our experience or distance. That's right. Either you have a right relationship with Christ, there's no distance in you, okay, and now you can have a proper fellowship relating, because is there a proper relating to other believers outside of fellowship? No. Never. Okay? So the enemy between believers wants to create distance and not God's way. He wants to put an obstacle. That's what he wants to do, and that's what he tries to do. So for us, it's either God's way or it's distance. There's no distance in terms of how God sees us. Isn't that wonderful? We, yeah. we, we, uh, God has caused us through teaching the word, giving us the word, all of us, that when Christ put on humanity and came, he removed all distance between God and man. As far as God's concerned, there's no distance. That's why, that's why you can receive Christ and have your sins dealt with. And the fact that ours are already dealt with, our old is crucified, Romans 6, 1 through 6, the sins are dealt with and, and, and gone away in Psalm 103, verse 12. So that's what we have in our position as believers in Christ. But what about my experience? Is there, is there distance in our experience? Because if there's distance in me, in my relationship with Christ personally, that, is that what I have to bring to another? Yeah. And what is that? What is the distance, the result of? It's the flesh. And the flesh profits what? Nothing, nothing. And in uh, John 6, 63 and Romans 7, 18, the flesh profits nothing, right? right? But without love in 1 Corinthians 13, in those first three verses, without love it profits me what? Nothing. So if my experience is not one of being loved, which is the equal in truth of my position, what has come in between? There's distance. There's an obstacle that's come in the way. And oh boy, does he, oh boy, does he like to put those things in our way as we travel through not stopping and settling down in this world system, but as we are passing through on our way to our promised land to be with Christ in heaven, the enemy wants to place what? Obstacles. Right. Areas of differences. Air, listen, areas of suspicion. You ever been suspicious of another believer? I don't know. Is there any suspicion in God's love? Nope. Are you suspicious? Am I suspicious? Am I irritable? Is there any irritation in grace? No. Am I irritable? Has something caused me to be irritable? Or is it another's behavior and conduct that's caused me to be irritable and be suspicious and live in distance, even though we're as close as we could get with this still distance? And so we play a role and we pretend we pretend in Romans 12, 9, let love be without pretending, because that's really what it says. Dissimulation is where we get our English word, hip, hypocrite, hypocrisy. Stop, stop being a hypocrite. Stop pretending that you're being loved in your experience. Yep. Yep. Amen. 
And then you pretend that you have that you can have a relationship or a fellowship with another believer, and it's just pretending it's role-playing. No substance. No substance in Hebrews 11, verse 1. So, we see the psalmist, he had great peace. Have they that love the word and not one single obstacle will cause them to totter, to fail, to experience ruin, to be overwhelmed, to be discouraged, to be irritable, to be suspicious. On and on it goes. Nothing of that sort for any of us. Nothing of that sort at all. Okay? And that's for us, too. So why? Why do we see that? Okay? Because this is what the psalmist was even talking about. And by the way, everything that he's talking about there, he, he doesn't come close to what we have in Christ. Some will teach that, you know, it's all one thing. It's not. That is so huge out there and being so attacked right now. Especially, especially guys that I grew up with and known for 30, 40 years. Fact of the matter is, the whole thing that's, that is, is overwhelming the psalmist, even in the midst of all this persecution, is the perfection. What was the perfection? What was the completion in his mind that he was experiencing? What was it? It was the Word of God. It was the Word of God. That's what it was. And the Word of God is what? Is his Word of what? Truth. Yeah, there's no lie in it. It's his Word of truth. And again, in truth, there's no suspicion. There's no irritation. Because he knew, factually, that every single one of God's righteous judgments, right? Righteous judgments had to do with his own nature. Every single one of them. This word has to do with his nature. And who brought out his nature more clear than anyone than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what John 1 verse 14 is talking about. The Word became flesh. The Word. Oh my God. <laughs> the whole expression and oneness of what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were and their relationship before anything was ever created. That nothing could interfere with the exchange of a loving embrace. <laughs> nothing could interfere with it. That's the love that we have in Christ. And as a result, it will have joy. But even when our joy fails, our peace doesn't. Because he's won peace for us by the blood of his cross at a great sacrifice in Colossians 1.20. We see that his judgments, his righteous judgments, are literally, and they, are they that have their foundation based upon God's nature. That's why Christ is our foundation. That's why he's the very nature of God expressed in humanity with a scores of other verses that we won't even begin to, to quote right now. It was his own nature. And listen, as immovable as his righteous judgments are, are as immovable as his nature is. And as, uh, as they are immovable, and unchangeable they are as himself. <laughs> God has given us himself for this journey. He, he's not only crucified our old, 
He's not only paid for our sins, but through his son, he's given him to us to pass all the way through our journey. All the way through. Look at Christ. Did he suffer? Yes. yes. Did it move him from his father? No. no. Where is he now? He's in glory. What are we passing through? On our way to glory, suffering. That's right. That's what forms it in us. So beautifully. So beautifully. That's why the seed has to go into the ground and die so that life can spring out. And it's such a beautiful picture when we understand it this way. So as we begin to go forward with this, what we can see is no matter what, and you'll see that through that whole psalm, no matter what, in Psalm 119, he said, these the high places of the earth, and he said, princes, and you can see it, he said, princes persecute him without a cause. Did they hate Jesus without a cause in John 15, verse 25? Yes. Did they hate David because of the word in him in Psalm 69 and verse 4 and in Psalm 35 and verse 19? They hated him without a cause. Well, then will the world system hate us as a, without a cause because we have the cause, Christ, in us, which is, which is the target of the hatred? And will there be suffering? Well, if we suffer with him in 2 Timothy 2.12, we'll reign with him. When? Right now. But on our way through, we're on our way through to glory. And in Romans 8.18, for I reckon, I count up all, logizomai, it's an accountant term, I count it all up. I count up all up the sufferings. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time in comparison to eternity, are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us, on us, and over us. God, and what will his glory be to us when we see him finally face to face? And that goes into the beauty, again, in Revelations 2 and verse 17. It's another, uh, if God has it, I believe he does, another booklet that I believe that he desires. And so, but his whole heart, even though they were persecuting him, whether it's Ezra or David, his whole heart, his whole heart is consumed and he stands in awe, reverent awe of that which God himself has spoken to his conscience. So that what happened to him doesn't become the means through the mind and the emotion, the will, the consciousness, dumping all that into his conscience and that being a reflection of who he is. All of it. Unbelievable. 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 Listen, the fact of the matter is, is that God loves us in his unchanging faithfulness, listen to this, to himself. Did you hear that one? Right? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. He'd, he'd have to be, it would have to be a lie to his own nature. <laughs> God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he'd ever change his mind. Has he not said, will he not do it? 
Has he not spoken? And will he not bring it to pass? Look at the work that he's done. You see it. You see that in Numbers 23, 19 to 23. All we can say when we're in his presence is, oh my God, what a work you have wrought. What a work you have done is so incredible. Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. But we do know in John 8, 44, who's the father of all lies. And when we function in a lie and don't experience truth, I'll tell you, the first thing we go after and the only thing we can in the flesh is lusts. You will see that in John 8, verse 44. And I will see it, and I have seen it in both cases. You, you can be sure of that. But what he speaks and enters into our conscience, listen, is the true reflection of our true image. This is what these things are dealing with. And there's so much more, so much more. But as we begin to close this up, as we begin to close it up, this is why we can see these things. And why the conscience is so important. And how he goes after the experience. So that ends up dumped into the conscience. But here's the facts about our true conscience. Because our true conscience is the reality of our true image in Christ. So in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image... Because the image is Christ himself who fulfilled the shadow. The shadow had no substance. It was pointing to the substance, the total substantiation. That's what Hebrews 11.1 1 is even talking about. Faith is the substantiation. It's the title deed. It's the proof of ownership for the things not seen. Does that mean that faith is a leap in the dark? No, it's taking steps on the most solid foundation we ever could because he made every step ahead of us in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. We are to walk in his steps. You know when you're lost and someone knew it, you see, if you finally see the, the footprints of the guide, then you just start stepping in those and you're, le- you're led right out of the trouble. You're led right out of being lost. For the law having a, good sh- a shadow of good things to come, not the very image, can neither... With those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers, those that would come, thereunto perfect. In other words, complete. That's what it means, complete, right? For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, that's another thing, that's another privilege that we have in Christ, by the way, is to be worshipers, Right? To be worshipers, once purged, where we once purged in our position. Absolutely. Once purged, that we should have no more what? Conscience of sins. In other words, we're no longer going to define ourselves by our sins. And we're no longer going to define other believers by theirs. And allow that to cause distance and obstacles and weaken us and tear apart a local assembly to divide and give a fractured image of Christ. Because the image of believers is fractured because there's a distance based on a lie. We're going to wrap it up here. Wrap it up very beautifully here. So, when we look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and those 40 verses, 
okay, those 40 verses, we have the testimony, the solid testimony as witnesses of what, listen, what Christ brought them through. He brought them through as more than conquerors. Listen, he didn't take them out of the sufferings. He led them right through. Because what is that suffering doing? It's forming in us, through Christ, glory. And when you cry out, I don't want it anymore, now we can get a proper understanding. We get a proper understanding of that. Suffering righteously, not as a result of sins, but suffering righteously, without a cause. That's the proper way. The proper. We can suffer bad decisions and even thank God that's not who we are. And then God in his loving, loving chastisement, there won't be fellowship, but it will be his grace, his anticipative love, his prevenient grace to bring us back to a place where we can truly know who we are in the proper image and actually fellowship now, worship. Be worshipers and not despondent quitters. Well, we have all that evidence of witnesses in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Some call that the, hero, the Heroes Hall of Fame. There's only one hero there, and he operated in every one of those, and that's Christ. Your only hero, and my only, if you want to even use that word, it falls very short. <laughs> but that's Christ, because he won't fail. He'll never fail us. So now, this is why it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing, what are we seeing? Evidence, solid evidence of Christ coming through them, for them, leading them through unto victory. You ought to read, if you get a chance, and it's very intense. Just be prepared. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And oh my God, if you think you and I are going through things, and we some of us have really gone through some things, look at what they went through. Look at what they went through. It's, a very, it's probably one of the most intense books I've ever read in my entire life. It says, Wherefore seeing, wherefore witnessing all this evidence... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of what? Witnesses. And what do witnesses give? A true testimony. A true testimony. Let us, because of that, lay aside every what? Wait. Wait. Are you carrying a disagreement? Are you carrying a rejection, a hurt? Is it creating distance? Is it? Lay it aside. Lay aside every weight. Why? Because if you don't, and put it on the only burden bearer, Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow those that are righteous in Christ to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he does care for you. Because if that's not your experience, you will experience the roaring lion through his lies. He has no power, but he has lies. 
who will tear you to pieces and swallow you up whole. He'll use the details of life. He'll use the obstacles, the lies, everything he can to interfere and create distance between your proper experience with Christ because he is your foundation and he is your and my position, which is immovable. Immovable. You build a house on a solid foundation. It's immovable. Again, read in the type 2, Matthew the seventh chapter, and look at verses 24 to 27. We can build our house on a rock, that's Christ, or on the emotions, that's the sand. And our emotions change just like the shifting sand. Whether they're good or bad, they're not the indicator in reality of who we are. That's why joy can be up and down, but peace is settled. It's on a foundation, that foundation is Christ. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin, if we don't, which will easily entangle us. That's the obstacle. The sin becomes the obstacle. Beset us and let us run with what? Because love is what? Patient. What does that mean? That means, that, what, I'm patient to someone else? Well, do I have that? If he's not patient with me? And think of how patient he's been with us and how impatient we can be with others. Boy, I'll tell you what. You know, us, and we brought this out yesterday. Not that I'm going to go into it because we're going to wrap it up here very soon. But the reality is, you know, when we don't function in the great peace based upon the great love that we have in Christ, we leave a loving Father and become little judges. That's right. And we pass sentence. Let me tell you. That's right. And you and I may hate those Pharisees and what they did, but let me tell you, that's every, we all have that little Pharisee in our flesh. That's right. We all do. We all do. Now, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us look away from all that would distract unto Jesus. He is the file leader. He's our leader. Boy, if you're not being led, what are you following? Boy, if I'm not being led, what am I following? Hmm? He's the leader, the beginner, the leader and finisher of faith, our absolute dependence. Listen, who for the joy, oh my God, that was set before him, endured, listen, look that word up, endured, the patience, forbearing and putting up with the most brutal things you could even imagine, and then sometimes that, endured the cross, it was a he considered it joy for us. For his father, the experience, the joy that he would experience dealing with the sin question, but the joy that would become ours as a result of his life rising from the dead off the cross, out of the grave, despising the shame, thinking lightly of the shame. Who experienced more than him? The shame. And is set down, because it's finished, at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what we're going to finish with this morning. For consider him. And God said to me, stop. Stop. I want you to look that word up. He did. He stopped me. So I want you to look it up. For consider him. What are we considering? When I wake up in the morning, what is, who, who or what is my consideration? You mean him who will never leave me nor forsake me? You mean him who, who crucified my old paid for every single one of my sins, and is right now preparing 
a place for me in John 14, 1 to 3, for a place to, 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 to fellowship with him for all eternity. And he's taking care of my eternal destiny. What is, who is my first thought? Who is my first consideration? For consider him. When, whatever you're going through, wherever you are in your growth, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And boy, this is loaded. I'm just going to tell you this word consider, and, I, and I, I was writing it down so fast again. I was writing it down on that blotter that's a calendar for the dates that you're supposed to write things in a day. I end up, I can't even grab something sometimes. <laughs> and I wrote it down on my little piece of paper here. As, I, as he told me, and I'm like, wow. And I want to tell you, when I looked that up, geez, you mean it's from this word? Yeah. Now you got to look up this word? Yeah. Gosh, now you got to look up this prefix? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I'm, geez, you know, really? And then I went, oh, I'm sorry. It's a privilege. Forgive me. It's a privilege. You want to talk about labor? What a privilege. What a privilege. So consider is analogizomai. You can look that up. And I'll spell it for you, A-N-A-L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. This is what it means, and it's basic understanding, basic meaning. It means to estimate. It means to contemplate. This is from the Greek word, analogia. <laughs> this is where we get our English word, to make a proper analogy. Proper analogy. To have that, you've got to have proper facts, don't you? To have a proper analogy. It's from the prefix ana, A-N-A. And you know what that word means? First, first meaning, up. <laughs> up. But by extension. So as we look up, and, and I have a proper view of my position, my experience extends and now I'm going forward. And it's used, this word is not only by extension, but it's used distributively. As I look up to see Christ, look away from all that would distract, as I'm looking up at him who did all of this, I have all these evidence, all these witnesses. It, now it enters into my experience. It extends to my experience. And then what am I doing? He's distributing to me severally all this power and all this truth. And it's used locally. Listen, that means right where you and I are at. That's right. Circumstance and situation doesn't have to change. Because he who's in us doesn't. And if we don't rely on him as our guide, he'll be our guide in Psalm 48, verse 14, until the death. That means the day that we see him. In Ecclesiastes 7.1, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Because <laughs> we go to be with him. Forever. So by that, it means locally, and it means right where you're at. It means that word at. That's Anna. It means up and at. <laughs> really. Right? And in compounds, when it's part of another word, as a prefix, look, a prefix, look at what it means. It often means, by implication, repetition. God's going to continue to repeat. This is the word that we're having. Repeat. This is your position. I'm with you. I won't leave you. You're suffering, but the suffering righteously is leading to glory and a fellowship with me for all eternity. That's what it's doing. 
It's continually doing that. And he's going to keep repeating the reality of who we are with a cleansed conscience, as we saw in Hebrews 10, 2, and not operating in a defiled conscience. That's what it's saying. It means intensity. How intense is his power? How intense is his presence? How intense is his love? And it means reversal. That means I can be thinking the wrong way. And in comes this intensity and this repetition and reality and true fact of who we are, and we just reverse. We go the right way. We're not going the distance way. We're not going the suspicious way. We're not going the irritable way. We're not going the discouraged way or the disappointed way. We're going the way of proper encouragement, which is a revelation and manifestation of our proper image in Christ. And that goes into the conscience. And boy, oh boy, I have a pure conscience in Titus 1.15. It's not defiled. It's a pure conscience. So listen, to the pure, all things are pure. What does that mean? Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. You know what that means? It means this. Eh? That in 2 Corinthians 4.15, all things are for your sake. It's to purify you, even your sufferings. All things in 2 Corinthians 5.18 are of God. And they all work together for the good in Romans 8.28. To them that love God. Experientially, do they work together for good? If I have a proper experience, yes. Well, if I have a bad experience, does anything taste good? Does he even taste good anymore in Psalm 34, verse 8? Oh, taste and see that he's good. Or am I tasting, am I feeding from the wrong source? Am I? So it means this. In reversal, listen, ana, A-N-A, is used with numerals. Listen, addition. The addition of an intensity and a, repeta- a, rep- a repetition and a constant reversal. <laughs> right? And, and a constant numerals or measures. In other words, I measure myself by my true image, true identity. All through the suffering, all through it all, I have great peace. And nothing will cause me to stumble. Nothing will cause me to be offended by anything or anyone. Because he who's dealt with it all is in me. He's the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So, you've got four minutes. Here it is. Here it is right here. Anna is used with numerals or measures of quantity. I'll give you all that you need. I'll give you all that you need constantly. Because... My God will supply all my need in Philippians 4.19 according to his limitless riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And it's also and it's also used with a distributive force. Oh, live by the right force, the will of God through Christ who's finished it. A distributive force, the right kind of force, not the wrong kind of force. And it's from the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, That is from the word lago, L-E-G-O. That word means to lay, to set, to lay before, right? Figuratively, it means to relate. How we should relate properly through suffering with Christ. Through every circumstance, through every single situation. That word L-E-G-O focuses on the words that are uttered. 
God's constantly uttering the word of truth about who we are in Christ. The thought, it's the thought of the mind, listen to this, the thought of the mind which is correlative to the spoken word. See, this isn't my word that I'm speaking, it's the word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It is in truth the word of God that works effectually. So the word that's spoken coming through me is just a mouthpiece, but it's the word and it's correlated with God's thoughts towards you and towards me. There's a correlation. In other words, there's no break. Wow. Constantly living in the force of his love. And it's all, so again, it's the thought of the mind which is correlative to the spoken word. Look at Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Read those verses in reality and, 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 and with, it, with, with what it says here. I'll just read them real quick because i got two minutes. So hang in there. Hang on. I'm hanging in there. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times, many different times, and in diverse manners, many different ways, spoke. See, he spoke his thought, right? His unchanging thought. In times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, we're in the last days, guys, spoken unto us by his son. Really, the Greek says, by son. That's how he's speaking to us. Whom he appointed heir of what? All things, by whom we also made the worlds, plural. And, and that includes a little, little dust ball that we're on right now called earth. Who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of glory, the express, look, image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Will he uphold me? Is my position upheld and untouchable? Yeah, how about my experience? Upholding all things. By the word of his power, God, the word is powerful. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So, as we close it, listen. It is, the thought of the mind is the correlative to the spoken word as their and as our necessary condition or our necessary experience, right? So logos, again, is something that is said and it includes the thought. It's, an abs- it's a topic. It's reasoning. Look at that word reasoning, proper reasoning, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, up to verse 6. Read those and correlating with this. You'll get a beautiful correlation of what God's giving us. And we don't have the time because I'm, I'm supposed to be done. But it goes into a topic, a reasoning, the mental faculty that brings in proper motive. That word logos has motive. The motive, and by extension, God extending to us in our experience the reality of a son in us and us in him, a computation. He is giving us, through the word, a continual divine expression of Christ, the very expression of his thought. And then finally, analogia, that word analogia, with all those made-up words, speaks of a right relation. Think about that. A right relation. And it's a right relation. It's an agreement. Amos 3 3. Can any can two walk together experientially unless they be agreed? Will I continue to go forward if Christ isn't my experience? No, I'll settle down in some kind of distance. I won't gather. <laughs> That's unfortunate. But it's the uh, agreement existing according to the standard. Who's our standard? Christ. 
of the reverse of the several relations that we have with each other. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, Father. It's just way more. <laughs> it's even way more than any of us. I, myself, and any of us can even begin to handle because even the truth that we are in Christ takes dependence for him to handle it. We can't even do that. That's why that the Holy Spirit is the only scholar and that is why we, when that happens, when he's the scholar that takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us, we don't become private interpreters and, and make our own Bibles based upon our own self-interpretation. You imagine trying to interpret the scriptures through self, through fallen self in the experience. So Father, thank you so much for who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.